Greetings and Merry Yule time to you. I am Sparks, and this is the fourth episode of Mythalaneous, and I'm joined here with Brandon T. McClure. Hi. Come in and get to know myths better, man. <laughs> I got what you're doing. Yeah, let's celebrate. Okay. <laughs> That's clever. That's cute. I Thanks. Like that. Yeah. Now, if only we could figure out an outro. <laughs> <laughs> we got the intro down. How do you get out of the show? Yeah. It, you'll never know. Right. What's up, dude? Uh, you know, I forgot what I was going to call you for a minute. So I was going to, what's up, boy? Yeah. But I was like, no, that's, I've never, I, I've never said that to you. Boy. The dude. I don't know. Uh, yeah, this is, a this is our se- fourth episode already? It's our fourth episode. Oh yeah, I guess so. Moving right along. Yeah, we, we put up a, we put up a special. Uh, mm-hmm. if you guys didn't know, we put up a, I mean, it's on our feed, so you probably do know, but like, we put up a special from the Fake Nerd Podcast, the same yes. thing. Uh, that we recorded there with our friends over there. Yeah, there was the God couple, of War. A couple of miscellaneous references in there. A little bit. Uh, it was God of War, um, the 2018 God of War game. Mm-hmm. I figure I actually kind of want to go back to the first three God of Wars and do a like a review of those. Do you also. mean here on miscellaneous? Yeah. Okay, because I was going to say on fake nerd that makes no sense. No, it'd be stupid on fake okay. nerd. But here it'd be cool. No, here it makes sense. Yeah, that, that'd it'd be, be kind of fun. But if this is your report today. Can we like? Can we like do one into it? at the same time because like there's not a lot in two i wasn't i was gonna say we do one two and three at the same time oh okay yeah just like i thought we were gonna get three. like really minute and dig deep i mean we could we could do one two and then another one and three maybe i guess this is a discussion for yeah, another time we'll talk about this later um to report today i was gonna say well real quick because we were talking about fake nerd podcast they should also go and listen to our most recent episode of fake nerd because they're at the end your book club was Oh yeah, kind of clause. related to this stuff. Yeah, I did a book club uh, in this last episode where we talked about the CW crossovers, uh, Elseworlds. Uh, my book club was Claws, which uh, if you guys haven't read it, I highly recommend. It's a comic book by Grant Morrison and Dan Mara Mora. I always get that wrong. Um, where Grant Morrison kind of takes Santa Claus. It's like Santa Claus Year One. He described it. It's it's he takes it back to its original Scandinavian roots and yeah. Uh, you you mentioned it a little on our last episode of yeah it's yeah. really great yeah it was a good book club i i was gonna say like if you want to check that out and actually you have to have watched the elseworlds crossover just rush, fast forward to the end of the last yeah i did i did time you. code it so you could just yeah. like skip that one there's um this week if you're a comic book fan and you're a comic book store there is a new one shot of claws where it's basically claws during ragnarok did you get it already not yet oh okay i haven't had a chance to so try well, that's really right up our alley yeah then. Yeah, it's called uh, Claws and the Crying Snowman. We're all steeped in Norse stuff so far. Yeah, we are. That's not changing today. Is it not? Okay. Well, um, a, a little, but not a lot. Sure. <laughs> not not by much. So what do you what have you bring What have you brought for us? Oh man, uh, buckle your shoes and get strapped in because we're going my shoes. really yeah. I don't have buckles on my shoes. Some people did. Did. <laughs> if you have a buckle in your shoe, strap it in. Yeah. All right, what are we doing? Don't judge me. <laughs> um, well, we're we're diving in real deep. I uh, I did a whole really intense dive into uh, where Yule traditions and Yule stories come from, and that relates to Norse and Scandinavian and pagans, and I'm all over the place on this one. Okay, I'm excited. Yeah. All right. So um, it's probably gonna be better than my last report. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be jumping. Jumping around a lot of different things. So anyway, uh, let's just dive right in. Um, so the celebration of Yule in Scandinavia predates the Christian holiday by thousands of years. The winter solstice, the time of year when the days get longer and the sun begins to return, was truly a cause for celebration among our ancestors in Scandinavia. Their midwinter feast lasted at least 12 days. 
So there's your... Oh, the 12 Days of Christmas. 12 Days of Christmas, yes. Mm. Uh, most Christmas traditions are rooted deep in ancient Yule rituals, many coming from the Vikings. What was the heathen Yule concerned with as a religious celebration? Brandon, do you know? No. Well, that's okay, because we don't know exactly. Okay, cool. Uh, Yule includes many mythological features that may throw some light on what our ancestors were up to during Yule and what they actually uh, may have celebrated, such as the rebirth of the sun goddess, the liberation from the rule of death and the powers of the underworld, mm -hmm. the celebration of Thor, uh, who is there to protect us from these powers, and the celebration of the ancestral mothers who will guide us through the time of darkness and into the new sun cycle. Real quickly, can I just point out, can I, can I ask you a question? First off, uh, God of War Christmas... Uh, game sounds really cool right now. I don't know why we talked because we talked bit. about it the other yeah yeah, but that'd be kind of cool. But after playing God of War, uh -huh. is it strange for you to go back and read Norse mythology and have the gods be good guys, essentially? Um, Whereas in God of War, they're all seen as dicks. You're talking about okay, so you're talking about like where Thor is like the protector. Yeah. Um, sort of. I mean, I read a lot of Riordan, and mm -hmm. in there, like, the gods are kind of like, you know, they're okay, but they're not the best people. Right. But in God of War, they're just... They're just dicks, dicks. yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many, especially with Norse, I feel like there's so many different accounts and different stories of how things are that it's... Yeah. It's all kind of mishmashed in there about different opinions of them. It's not like... It's, sure, it's not as black and white as the Greeks, where it's like, you know, some of them really sucked. Yeah. Um, Or the Romans. Uh, Copycats. Anyway, uh, so the the last one I mentioned is the ancestral mothers. They'll guide us through the time of darkness into the new sun cycle. I'm not gonna talk much about them. In fact, I'm not really gonna touch on them at all. Um, that's gonna be for some other time. Sure. Uh, maybe next year or something. Sure. Uh, but the rest of those that I mentioned, I'm gonna dive into. So, uh, during the 10th century A.D., King Hakon the Good, who was a Christian, demanded that the Yolablot. All right. Okay. Yolablot should be held on the 25th of December in accordance with the... This is essentially a Yule celebration. Yeah. Uh, in accordance with the Continental Christmas celebrations, a decision which was part of a political process of bringing Christianity into Norway. More on that later. Okay, I'm excited. So the new little law... Sizzle. Yeah? Little sizzle, little sizzle there. Yeah, a little sizzle for later. So the new law proposed that the holiday should last for as long as the beer did, and each man should have no less than the amount of beer that could be brewed from one measure... Of malt, I'm not making this up. A way of ensuring that a certain <laughs> amount of time would pass before the holiday was over. Wow. And to limit the brewing of beer so that working days could begin in due time. It also echoes a more ancient understanding of Yule and its connection with ritual drinking, which I'm going to talk about soon. Drinking, drinking, whatever. This way of timing Yule became the general Norwegian custom from some time after... Uh, I said the, this way of timing, I meant this way of celebrating. Yule became the general Norwegian custom for some time after 933 AD. Okay. Uh, yet this was not the original heathen date for Yule, obviously. Yeah. Yule, or Yule, uh, J with an accent over the O-L, oh. is Yule, yeah. was the name of the time oh, between... Odin was called... Um, Yule Father. Yule Father, yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, was the name of the time between the winter solstice and the Yolabot, uh which is the Yule Sacrifice, mm -hmm. which originally may, may, because this is Norse, have happened on the 12th of January. Oh, okay. So if you celebrate Yule, it begins with the winter solstice, and it lasts until the 12th of next year. Okay. The Yule celebration as a whole was often referred to as drinking Yule, as in to drink Yule. So drinking was big, but so was feasting, banquets, games, and songs, yeah. and sacrifice to the gods and other powers of winter. 
Yeah. It's uncertain what exactly was celebrated during the Yule drinking. It has been suggested that they sacrificed for a good new year for the dead, or that it was a sun or light celebration to counter the darkness of winter. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot of vague, a lot of vagaries. I mean, there are, but yeah. like I, I really looked into this. Yeah. Um, the actual days of the great drinking and eating banquet associated with Yule did not last for more than three days, although the time of Yule certainly did, uh, lasting for more than three weeks. These three Yule banquet days and nights would probably be closer to the day of the sacrifice on the 12th of January rather than to the solstice. Man, the ancients really knew how to party. <laughs> As such, the sacrifice and the banquet may have been way of celebrating and giving thanks after three weeks of expectation, beginning with the solstice and the gradual brightening of days. So I'm talking about the, the 12th of January, and I didn't do a full breakdown here, which was my mistake. I meant to add it, um, but I, I ran out of time then and there was too much information. Um, so next year I'll probably do more of a breakdown, but the... the the way that the calendar evolved over time mm-hmm. and adapting Christianity and everything has really put these dates. You can kind of see where what was once where solstice is. Now we're like, oh, no, that's January 12th. But it wasn't always January 12th and all these kinds of things. Sure. And there's a whole breakdown on that that, that I'll do a different day. Um, I'm going to read a stanza from Vathrun Dismal, which is a uh, poem in the Poetic Ada. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to read it. They have it here, non-translated. I'm not going to read that. Oh, I really wish you would. I mean, I could, but nobody... Eina dotver ber alfra ovul, alfer hana fenrir fari, sviskal riora, pa erregen de... I'm totally mispronouncing. This is great. This is great. Modver bratrem mer. It says, a daughter is birthed by elf splendor, which uh, translates roughly to the sun goddess, after she is swallowed by the wolf. She implying the new sun, shall ride as the gods are dying the old paths of her mother. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, uh, since Yule begins with solstice, it is natural to assume that the sun... So what I'm talking about right now is I'm, I'm kind of going into what the Yule celebration really must have come from, what the solstice celebrations were all about. Right. Um, so it begins with the solstice. It's natural to assume that the sun was an important feature of this ancient celebration. What we actually know about the Norse pagan religion is based on how we interpret the few pieces of the puzzle we actually have, mostly through old texts, folklore, and archaeological finds. As shown in the stanza I just quoted, there is a reference in the Edas as to how the sun goddess bears a daughter who will continue riding in the same paths as her mother after she has been swallowed by a wolf. It is a theme of cyclical time, how the end of a time cycle and thus the end of a sun gives away to a new cycle and a new sun. Thus, the theme is not just about Ragnarok, but about how the sun rebirths herself when a new cycle starts. This means the birth of a new sun goddess could have been a part of the winter solstice celebrations every year. Considering she was of central importance to Scandinavian religions during the Bronze Ages, and that a lot of her features and symbols survived into later Norse mythology and religious symbolism. Up to the 7th and 8th centuries, the sun symbol continued to dominate the iconography of burial monuments, possibly an indication that the sun represented a new cycle after death, or a new life of sorts. It's often thought that the sun goddess lost importance in the religious cult of the Vikings over time, yet a lot of her essential characteristics survived in many other goddesses, such as in Freya's golden eyes and her necklace of flames made by the Four Directions. So the abduction of the bright southern light and life-bringing golden and thus solar goddess and the dire need to restore her to her place among the gods is a recurring theme in Norse mythology. Yeah. When the poem quoted above refers to how the new sun goddess will begin to ride the ancient paths of her mother when the gods are dying, 
because that's another part of the poem. It says, when the gods are dying. It is not just a reference to Ragnarok. It is a reference to a time when the gods are weakened, dying, awaiting the gift of new life that is given by the resurrected maiden, as described in the skaldic poem Hostelong, when the gods began to age and die while their shared singular lover, and here the singular lover is called Idun, the one lover of all the gods, the maiden goddess who resides in the underworld. It may mean several things at once, but on one level this is a reference to winter and to the fact that the gods depend on the fruit of their lover, the goddess of resurrections, in order to revive and retain their immortality, their youth, and their strength. Wasn't that... That's ambrosia. Isn't, doesn't that serve a similar purpose in Greek mythology? Yes, I... So, yes, it is like that, but for Norse mythology, it's apparently connected to Idun, lover of all the gods. So the she gets around. Who restores their health and vitality. So wait, so Yule, the, the winter solstice is what you're talking about, yeah. was a celebration of the gods' rebirth in the, so, into the next year? So the sun's rebirth, at least. Yeah. But there's a lot of illusions about uh, the the connection to Ragnarok. Because yeah. like the the specifically in this this uh, Ada, mm-hmm. so what it's saying is there's this poem that I read from earlier, and in that poem it describes the son dying, but giving birth to a daughter who goes on her path. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also referencing how this information connects to the other part talking about Ragnarok yeah. and the gods waiting at the end for the resurrection of life, because the belief is that this this happened every year. Yeah. Um, and how these two things might be. It's trying to bridge the connection. It's not like Ragnarok of where, happened every year. Again, like, like trying to piece together the puzzle pieces. Yeah. Where these things were connected. Was was Idun, the maiden, in fact, connected to the sun goddess or not? Right. Um, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And I'm kind of going to break down, because we've talked about Sol and Mani before, the, the sun and the moon. Yeah. I'm kind of going to break down where the sun goddess kind of myth fits in with Sol in a bit. Okay. Um. So Idun, uh, who I'd never heard of before. Yeah, no. This, uh, lover of all the gods, though. That is news to me. Yeah, restores their, rejuvenates them and regenerates them. Idun mm-hmm. has the various meanings of ever young reju- and rejuvenator. It is believed she may be another aspect of the goddess Freya. Oh. Maybe. Okay, so she could be like a different name. Yeah. Okay. Idun is also, but there's nothing saying that for sure. Right. Idun is also described as the glorious maiden who knows the age cure of the Aesir. That's the full translation. Okay. And significantly to our drinking celebrants, the ale provider. This is here tying her to the winter solstice. In the Ada poem, Harafnagdalor. You want to try that again? Hold on. (laughs) Harafnagalder. There we go. Okay. She is also said to be of elf kind, just like the sun. Uh And her role as both old and young is emphasized. And like all the stars of the universe, she is a seed of that universe, seed of Yggdrasil. Oh, interesting. Um, and I'm going to delve into some of that elf relation stuff too soon. So from that poem I just mentioned, Harafna Galder is this one. I'm not, I'm just going to read the English. There dwells in the valleys a knowledge-hungry goddess, the seed of Yggdrasil. Sinking down the ash of the lineage of elves, her name is Irun. She is the oldest child of the inner rulers, and she is the youngest child. Oh. Apart from being the seed of the universe and one that returns supposedly in a cycle to the point of origin, so you're seeing what I'm saying here, yeah. it is the elfin lineage that gives Idun's secret identity away, either as the sun herself, 
or as at least one of the goddesses who inherited the essential attributes of the older sun goddess. So now we note that the sun goddess was not only called Sol, meaning sun, which yeah. we talked about before, but also Aphrodol, which translates as elf shine, or elf splendor, or elf wheel. So the sun was an elf. That's this is what's kind of being hinted at, yeah. Interesting. Sol's other name in Norse mythology was Alfredol. Yeah. Implying an elf relation. Weird. I remember the story of the of how the the universe came to be. Uh, it's heavily implied that it's a man. Right. No, no, no. Mani's the man. Sol oh. is a woman. Sol is a Sol's woman. female. But I mean, like the mankind, like humankind. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Thus, she is the wheel or shine or splendor of the elves, which ultimately represented souls. Mm. Uh, remember that about elves, we're going to come back to it later in this report. Okay, write it down, everybody. <laughs> so from here, I want to point out a breakdown in association. This is, this is where I went deep. To the Sami sun goddess named Biev. Have you heard of the Sami? I've not heard of the Sami. Okay, neither had I until I did this, and this is where things got really deep. Um... So real quick, Biev was often accompanied by her daughter, Bieve Nieda. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing a little. Roughly meaning sun maiden. What region is this? I'm going to tell you. Okay. Um, in some situations, the sun maiden, Biev and Bieve Nieda, they get intermixed. Okay. So where were the Sami? Well, basically think of them as Norway's version of Native Americans. Oh, whoa. They are referred to as a Finno-Ugric people, defined as being a part of the Uralic language family. There's a pretty big rabbit hole here we could delve down, but I'm going to keep it short. Going as far back as 10,000 BC, the Sami people inhabited Sápmi, which today encompasses large parts of Norway and Sweden, northern parts of Finland, and a chunk of Russia. The Sami have historically, have historically been known in English as the Laps or the Laplanders, which have a derogatory implication in Scandinavia, but I've not heard elsewhere. The, I've heard the term Laplander. Uh-huh. This is them. Traditionally, the Sami have pursued a variety of livelihoods, including coastal fishing, fur trapping, and sheep herding. However, their best-known means of livelihood is semi-nomadic reindeer herding. Whoa. Yes. So they predate... The they predate Norse. Whoa. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, we're going some places. Okay, so on the winter solstice, a Guys. white female reindeer or other white animals were sacrificed in honor of Biev. Uh, to ensure right now. Huh? My mind is blown right now. <laughs> to ensure that she returned to the world and put an end to the long winter season. Literally Google the Sami sun goddess, just that, S-A-M-I sun goddess, and you'll immediately see some very Christmas-esque imagery. Uh, by our own modern standards of this goddess. I'm going to do that right now. Um, uh, you can keep going, though. Sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna... So, Biev, our sun goddess we're mentioning here, was yes. considered the source of all souls. The souls came to Earth as rays from the sun goddess who traveled through the sky in an enclosure of reindeer antlers and, horn and bones. These rays were received by the Earth goddess Mataraka, whose three daughters distributed and protected the souls when oh entering... Oh, my God. She's Lady Santa Claus. Yeah. Whoa. Right. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> so these rays were received by the Earth goddess Mataraka, whose three daughters distributed and protected the souls when entering the wombs of female individuals. So when the sun did not shine in winter, there was a period of no life, leaving a gap for the haunting souls of those who died to wander. Oh, my God. So a lot of the things that the Norse are talking about around winter solstice 
seem to actually come so even further back from the Sami. It just keeps going. It's, it's another region that co-opted another religion. So it would seem. Whoa. That's so weird. And I mean, there's definitely a deeper deep dive I could do here, but yeah. that's that's me but you always, cutting the surface. You always... In, man, we should go dive into it a little later, but like you always kind of think that you know, once you get to the ancients, the ancient peoples of Greeks, uh-huh. uh, uh, Nordics, uh, Romans, all those people, they came up with it. Yeah, you you end up it stops there. Yeah, but they're learning that there's something before them. No, I know. It, at first, it was finding out about the Sami. Yeah. Then it was finding out about the sun goddess having a reindeer, <laughs> and them being reindeer herders famously. And I'm like, okay, so there's a lot of Christmas connection here. Yeah. And then the fact that she travels around in an enclosure of reindeer antlers and bones. That's insane. And yeah. you saw the imagery I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at some really pretty imagery, honestly. Yeah. But, whoa. Yeah. All right, keep going. I'm, okay. I'm loving this. This is great. So thus, the sun goddess importance may have dissipated a lot by the Viking Age. But more likely, it was done by breaking down many different and younger versions of the goddess with their own attributes of this originally conceived sun goddess behave. Okay. One Ada poem that strongly suggests that the sun goddess may have been far more important during the Viking Age than we thought is commonly assumed is the poem Sola Lord, the Song of the Sun, where it is in fact the sun who represents life and the human heart. The sun is continuously referred to in the poem as the true star of day on earth, the star of hope in the human heart, a glorious goddess of old, and in death she is the sun of the giantess, i.e. known as hell. The sun of hell, shining darkly beneath the earth. Literally, not like the child, the sun of hell, shining darkly beneath the earth. So not Loki's no. granddaughter, No, 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 not, not child, S-U-N, son of hell. Oh, interesting. It is to her that the poet takes his leave as he accepts death as well as the new religion, yet not without longing for the old ways, not without lament for both life and his old faith. And here is the stanza from that very poem. I saw the sun, and it seemed to me I was seeing a glorious goddess. To her I bowed for one last time in this world of time. So the theory is that the poet is talking about uh, the Sami? Yes. Religion, essentially? So so that the idea being, it's it's weird where this mixes. Yeah. Because I'm talking about also the giantess hell. So it's weird where this mixes, but the idea possibly being that when the sun goes away, the sun lights hell. Oh. During the winter solstice. Interesting. And that's potentially why a whole bunch of spirits come up out of the underworld. Yeah. They switch. It's almost like it switches. Yeah. Uh, the day of the winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. And in Norway, as in other countries to the far north, it is particularly short, lasting for a few hours at best. Just a short moment of dark bluish light at midday before night once more settles and the sun, or soul, is not seen. To the ancients, it must have appeared as if the wolf of darkness was catching up on her, or that she had in fact succumbed to the wolf, shining only a bleak light from the realm of hell, or from inside the wolf's belly. That's terrifying. Eventually, Sol, or Sonna in Germanic, Mm -hmm. is doomed, doomed to be swallowed by the wolf. In the Volupsa, this would appear to be the time of Ragnarok, but it is also an annual event, because every year the sun of the north is in fact swallowed by darkness. Right, so, man, (laughs) I got nothing. Keep going. In this case, we may safely assume that the wolf who eats her represents death, and death is in the Norse mythos not a fixed state, but a transitional phase associated with dark and coldness and winter. 
Since the wolf is often a metaphor for death in Norse mythology, we are speaking of the death of the sun, the time she spends as the son of the giantess in hell. Again, S-U-N, son. Mm -hmm. And that death may have happened annually during winter. Yet it is within the darkness of death, while dwelling within the belly of the great wolf who is death, that she rebirths her daughter self. And this is metaphorically exactly what happens during the dark of winter. Winter solstice is the day of her return of her rebirth. Thus, the Yule celebration is a celebration of her rebirth, a fragile time of dreading the possibility that she may not succeed, a time of supporting her growth with every day for the three weeks or so it takes before her success is a given, proved by the brightness of day. So essentially, in order to start Ragnarok, the wolves have to catch up to both the sun and the moon. But if the wolf just catches up to the sun, it's Yule time? suppose so. Okay. So this is this is a lot of like research and everything done and not not my research this is just me gathering information that other people have gathered about saying that what was Yule really celebrating this is one of the most likely theories right. about what the winter solstice was all about for them based on things that they've written. Right. And things that we found. So that's when I was saying like at the top I was saying there are some things that we think it's about celebrating. Mm -hmm. Well this is one of them it's about the death and rebirth of the sun. I see. And not and this is Ragnarok. all of that evidence behind that. I see. So since Christian Christmas is all about the birth of a divine sun, meaning S-O-N sun, He's born in January. a theme known to have been June. preceded by many older religions and often having to do with winter solstice, we may also recognize that the celebration of the birth of a daughter may have been an ancient theme in Scandinavia, where the sun is a birth-giving mother birthing her own new self at the beginning of a new cycle. And now I want to take a brief break from some of that Yule and Norse stuff, and I want to look at uh, some history about the Christian Christmas coming from this Yule celebration. Okay. Philip Shaw, who researches early Germanic languages and Old English at uh, Leicester University in the UK, said, Christians of that period are quite interested in paganism. It's obviously something they think is a bad thing, but it's also something they think is worth remembering. It's what their ancestors did. The term pagan is related to the Latin word meaning field, which makes sense because early European Christianity was an urban phenomenon, while paganism persisted longer in rustic areas. Yeah. So, early Christians wanted to convert pagans, Shaw said, but they were also fascinated by their traditions. Perhaps that's why pagan traditions remained, even as Christianity took hold. The Christmas tree is a 17th century German invention, but it clearly derives from the pagan practice of bringing greenery indoors to decorate in midwinter. The modern Santa Claus is a direct descendant of England's Father Christmas, who was not originally a gift giver. However, Father Christmas and his other European variations are modern incarnations of old pagan ideas about spirits who travel the sky in winter, such about, as Odin. We talked about that in the last report. Exactly. Yeah. The fixation on partying at this time of the year comes from those who face the harsh winter of cold, darkness, and hunger, needing cheering up to avoid going mad or falling into deep depression. For 12 days with beer. Despite the spread of Christianity, midwinter festivals did not become Christmas for hundreds of years. The Bible gives no reference to when Jesus was born, which wasn't a problem for early Christians. Uh, this is said by Stephen Nissenbaum, author of The Battle for Christmas and professor of history at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. It never occurred to them that they needed to celebrate his birthday, he said. With no biblical directive to do so and no mention in the Gospels of the correct date, it wasn't until the 4th century that church leaders in Rome embraced the holiday. At this time... Many people had turned to a belief the church found heretical, that Jesus had never existed as a man, but as a sort of spiritual entity. So wait, the Christians started to disbelieve in, in Jesus. They started to disbelieve in the fact that he existed as a man. Interesting. 
if you want to show that Jesus was a real human being, just like every other human being, not just somebody who appeared like a hologram, then what better way to think of him being born than to think of him being born in a normal, humble, human way than to celebrate his own birthday? Right. So this is what Nissenbaum is saying. I see. Midwinter festivals with their pagan roots were already widely celebrated, and the date had a pleasing philosophical fit with festivals celebrating the lengthening days after the winter solstice, which fell on December 21st. Uh, oh, how wonderfully acted providence that on the day on which that son was born, Christ should be born. That's what a Cyprian text says. Oh, those rat bastards. A common theory is that the Christian church designated December 25th as the day of Christ's birth to coincide with the Nordic midwinter solstice celebrations, as well as with a Roman midwinter fest called Saturnalia, in order to facilitate the conversion of heathens to Christianity. Mm Mm-hmm. Roman pagans first introduced the holiday of Saturnalia, a week-long period of lawlessness celebrated between December 17th to the 25th. A week-long purge? During this period, (laughs) Roman courts were closed, and Roman law dictated that no one could be punished for damaging property or injuring people during the week-long celebration. So yes, it was kind of the purge. Jesus! The festival began when Roman authorities chose an enemy of the Roman people to represent the Lord of Misrule. Each Roman community selected a victim whom they forced to indulge in food and other physical pleasures throughout the week. At the festival's conclusion on December 25th, Roman authorities believed they were destroying the forces of darkness by brutally murdering this innocent man or woman. Oh my god. Yeah. That's rad. Here's some history for you. The ancient Greek writer, poet, and historian Lucian, in his dialogue entitled Saturnalia, describes the festival's observance in his time. In addition to human sacrifice, he mentions widespread intoxication, going from house to house while singing naked, rape... (laughs) No, I got you. I'm not laughing at the no, next no, no. thing he said. S- singing naked. Yes. <laughs> singing naked was funny. Uh, early forebears of Christmas caroling. Yes. It is. Yes, totally. Uh, no, really. <laughs> and, uh, singing naked, rape and other sexual license, and consuming human-shaped biscuits. Oh, gingerbread men. Yes. Slaves were allowed to swap places with their masters, and one was elected king for the duration of the festival. The wealthy distributed gifts to the poor. The Roman god Saturn, in whose honor the festival was staged, was no benign Christ figure or benevolent Santa, and ancient astrologers thought being born under the sign of Saturn was bad news. Whoa. In the 4th century, uh, Christianity imported the Saturnalia festival, hoping to take the pagan masses in with it. Christian leaders succeeded in converting to Christianity large numbers of pagans by promising them that they could continue to celebrate the Saturnalia as Christians. The problem was that there was nothing intrinsically Christian about Saturnalia. Mm-hmm. To remedy this, these Christian leaders named Saturnalia's concluding day, December 25th, to be Jesus' birthday. Oh. Christians had little success, however, refining the practices of Saturnalia. As Stephen Nissenbaum writes, in return for ensuring massive observance of the anniversary of the Savior's birth by assigning it to this resonant date, the church, for its part, tactfully agreed to allow the holiday to be celebrated more or less the way it had always been. Uh, so the earliest Christmas holidays were celebrated by drinking, sexual indulgence, singing naked in the streets, all a precursor of modern caroling. Right. <laughs> wait, I have, so wait, I just, I never think about this because, I mean, why would I? But I always wondered, you always hear like the Christians co-opted the pagan rituals uh-huh. and, for Christmas and, and, and a lot of the, a lot of the Christians, the Christmas celebrations, Christmas, Christian celebration of Christmas right. came from the ancients. Right. So, but I just realized Rome was a polytheistic state. Yes. How did it become monotheistic 
and the center of Christianity. Because this is essentially what was happening, is that they, Christianity was growing in power in different areas, right? Yeah. And they went, hey, come celebrate Christmas. Oh, you can do it your way. Yeah. Just recognize that December 25th is Jesus' birthday. And eventually became the capital of Catholicism. And then as that happened, it's not that they, it's not that they took the pagan rituals and all the things we're talking about and yeah. adopted them to Christmas. It's that they brought Christmas to where they were already doing those things and then said, okay, but put Christmas in there. But it's a, but the, the the idea of like, uh, essentially the idea of going to a, a Jew's house and putting some tinsel on it. Yes. Interesting. And then over time, that's how everything. And became. then over time, the, the Jew is Christian right. or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can say that I'm Jewish, please. I know. <laughs> but as the Catholic Church gradually came to embrace Christmas, the Protestant Reformation was a hurdle it had to get past. In the 16th century, Christmas became a casualty of this church schism, while, with reformist-minded Protestants considering it little better than paganism. This likely had something to do with the racuous, rowdy, and some, sometimes body fashion, that's a quote, in which Christmas was celebrated. Yeah. The Reverend Increase Mather of Boston observed in 1687 that, quote, the early Christians who first observed the nativity on December 25th did not do so thinking that Christ was born in that month, but because the heathen Santinali was at the time kept in Rome, and they were willing to have those pagan holidays metamorphosed into Christian ones, end quote. Okay. Because of its known pagan origin, Christmas was banned by the Puritans, and its observance was illegal in Massachusetts between 1659 and 1681. This I knew. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I referenced this last episode. In England, under Oliver Cromwell, Christmas and other saints' days were banned, and in New England, it was legal to celebrate Christmas for about 25 years in the 1600s. I, I, I knew that. I, the Chris, uh, a Christmas, Man Who Invented Christmas talks about how Christmas has fallen out of favor and things, right. like, that, things but that, like that. But that was a little later than the 1600s. Yeah. This, this is where things, this is where those moments are what started to shift that body in inconsolable behavior towards the more, you've got to be more Christian to celebrate this. Right. That's where this was happening. Okay. Uh, so it's really understandable that uh, he wanted that ban, considering how insane some of these celebrations were, and it took time to temper out the more uh, obscene rituals. Yeah, we can't purge for a week. Right. Anyway, back to the winter solstice of Yule. <laughs> Damn. Winter was a time of slumbering and death-like stillness, darkness, and coldness. All attributes associated with death, hell, and the underworld. It is also a time of night. Not, as we remember, was mother of Dag, or Day, who represents the time when the sun goddess shines, and he, his sons, alongside night and her sisters and all the heavenly bodies, are the counters of time. Winter is a time when Not and all her female kindred ruled. It is important to note that the powers of darkness, always known as night, hell, winter, uh, are not evil, although dangerous. They are, in fact, the powers that birth the powers of light and life, day or earth or sun, as represented by Grandmother Night in a poem from the Ada called Himiskavida, where Nott is referred to as a giantess with 900 heads named Ama, meaning grandmother. 900 heads? 900 heads. How does that even fit on anything? <laughs> uh, it's likely that the powers associated with darkness and death were celebrated in some way or other, if for nothing else, so as to placate them in the hope that they will not bring about as much destruction as they could if they are displeased. Do you think she had long necks? Yes, I imagine she must have. Yeah. Weird. Or she's just like a round orb of heads. <laughs> a round orb of heads. The just banging <laughs> on each other. <laughs> uh, the dangerous powers that dominated midwinter must have been fearsome things to people who in so many ways were dependent on their natural environment. 
There are some elements from later Norwegian folklore which may represent aspects of how they survived. One of these is the Oskaria, or rather the Asgard Riders, the immortal souls of dead ancestors who ride through the nights of winter. The Oskaria gathering is also known as the Jolaria, Jol Askaria, and Imberkeldoln. They basically translate to the Yule Riders. Oh. The Yule Riders consist of various creatures of the underworld and the souls of the dead. Is that like the Ma- Wild Hunt? Any relation? I'm getting there. Uh, ma- they make a fearsome gathering as they ride through the dark lands of winter and are dangerous to those who cross their paths, but especially to those of impure intentions. Mm-hmm. So they're almost like the defenders against the bad things of winter. Um, the Yule Riders, specifically. The imagery is similar to that of the Wild Hunt and is presumed in some sources to be another aspect of it occurring at the same time as Odin's travels. I see. The dark of winter allowed these dead souls to roam because the borders between the world of the living and the world of the dead had become blurred because the world of the living had in fact become like dark, cold, and merciless hell. Mm -hmm. So referencing back to our last episode, that there is a pretty far back origin for the reason why ghost stories were so intrinsically linked to Christmas time later on, prominent in England's Victorian Christmas traditions that has been almost completely lost from memory. And I have a quote here. Whenever five or six English-speaking people meet round a fire on Christmas Eve, they start telling each other ghost stories, wrote British humorist Jerome K. Jerome as part of his introduction to an anthology of Christmas ghost stories titled Told After Supper in 1891. What's this guy's name? Jerome K. Jerome. Got it. Just wanted to be sure. Okay. Quote, nothing satisfies us on Christmas Eve but to hear each other tell authentic anecdotes about specters. End quote. The practice of gathering around the fire on Christmas Eve to tell ghost stories was as much a part of Christmas for the Victorian English as Santa Claus is for us today. Quote, There must be something ghostly in the air of Christmas, something about the close, muggy atmosphere that draws up the ghosts like the dampness of summer rains brings out the frogs and the snails. For ghost stories to be told on any other evening than the evening of the 24th of December would be impossible in English society as at present regulated, Jerome wrote. He continues... So what is it about Christmas that goes so well with ghosts? Such a question inevitably, inevitably excuse me, brings us to the issue of why we celebrate Christmas in December at all, end quote. Oh. So he's even referencing, and this was back in 1891 when he wrote this, uh, back to the old Norse yeah. and pagan things. It always goes back to that. So the festivals, uh, well, apparently maybe farther because of the Sami. Yeah. So the festivals we've been talking about celebrate the death of light and its subsequent rebirth the following day. In addition to being the longest night of the year, however, winter solstice was also traditionally held to be the most haunted due to its association with the death of the sun and death of light. It was the one night of the year when the barrier between the worlds of the living and the deceased was thinnest. This is something we talked about the last time. Right. Where the imagery of this been co-opted by Halloween and things like that. When Sam Hain came along, yeah. Yeah. He took a drink. I'm sorry. I, I, I needed water. It's okay. <laughs> On Christmas Eve, ghosts could walk the earth and finish unsettled business as exemplified by the apparition of Marley in Charles Dickens' Christmas masterpiece. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you... You put that in there for me. Yeah, of course. In short, the Victorian Christmas celebration, which drew heavily on pagan symbols like Yule logs, holly berries, and Father Christmas himself, also embraced the winter holidays associations with the supernatural to create one of its most popular annual traditions. And yet, the Victorian custom of recounting blood-curdling ghost stories with friends and family around the fire on Christmas Eve has been almost completely forgotten. Yeah, I don't know if anyone in, especially in our generation, but generation... The closest we get is that we all just still watch Christmas Carol. Yeah. Or read it. I, I bet you you go to even our grandparents, they wouldn't even remember this tradition. Yeah. 
I don't think there's anybody living who would. Right. Interesting. Perhaps this era of the freely wandering dead was instigated on the 1st of November when the Alphabot... Alphablot. The Alpha... The sk- Alphabot? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Alphablot. Alphablot. Sacrifice to the elves. That's what it is. Okay. Was held in order to honor the souls of the ancestors who now dwelled in mounds and rocks as dark elves. Well, what? Yes. Originating in southern Sweden, the elves were offered beer, meat, and blood, and rights to placate them, please them, and avoid their anger and vengeance. The date of the elf sacrifice was the countdown to winter solstice, with the days growing ever shorter and the power of death and darkness growing ever greater. So wait, the elves would turn into dark elves? No. People would die. Oh, people would die. and And they'd be buried, and when they were buried, they became dark elves. What? So, the Volupsa, the Old Norse poem that yeah. we've talked about before, asks, Vat er mer alfon, or what's with the elves? The ancient Scandinavians regarded the Alfar as the distinct class of beings, though there was some fluidity among the bloodlines of elves, norns, gods, and even humans. 13th century Icelandic poet Snorri Sturlinson offers two races of elves in the Light Elves, mm-hmm. <clears throat> whom Snorri likens to the sun, and lived in Alfheim. Those are the light elves. Yeah. And the dark elves who were blacker than pitch and dwelled deep in the earth. That's racist. And now I'm going to read you a section from this nifty little book, which I'll tell you what the book is later. <clears throat> I need to check where I am. Okay. From earliest times, or the Bronze Age at least, elves were associated with the sun. In Sweden, cup-shaped depressions can be found in rocks bearing carvings of what we presume to be sun wheels. These stone cups held offerings of milk, which rural Swedes continued to pour out for the elves into this 20th century. An old Norse kenning for the sun itself is Alfredol, or glory of the elves. The elves' role as intermediaries between mortals and the life-giving sun helps to explain their shining aspect. Remember how I mentioned soul, the elf shine, related to it in the poem? Um, So there's a lot of implication here about elves being kind of an in-between state after death of human beings before you become before you go to hell Mm. that's strange yeah yes so much we don't know yeah early days of this podcast think about it 50 episodes in we may be experts (laughs) maybe um uh, continuing from the book the highly literate snorri (laughs) highly literate that's how this book calls him snorri (laughs) sturluson divided the elves neatly into light and dark but this does not mean they were so divided throughout the nordic world or that Every peasant who sought practical help from the elves was aware of such a division. The elves might have shone like the sun, but they were also very much of the earth. Because they were believed to be physically present in the landscape, they were often of more immediate importance to the farmer than they were to the mighty gods. It is possible that propitiation of the elves preceded worship of the gods, just as it has long outlived in the general population. For the story of the elves does not end with Ragnarok, the fiery demise of the old Norse worldview. So this kind of goes back to that thing I was mentioning earlier about how Christianity took over more in urban areas before it really set into the rustic and rural areas. Right. Because farmers believed, first and foremost, even more so than the gods, in the elves. Oh, interesting. It was a, So it was way easier for them to just kind of, sure, we'll believe in your thing. Mm. So, uh, continuing from the book, 
Vithod Erin, the Volepsa prophetess, goes on to ask as she describes the end of that world, while many of the chieftains and kings of northern Europe were able to trade in Odin for Christ without much thought, the tillers of the soil had been working on their relationship with the elves for thousands of years, and they were not about to give them up so easily. Rather than let the elves go, they resettled them within a Christian cosmology. In this new world, the elves were semi-fallen angels. When Lucifer rose up against God, the elves or fairies failed to choose sides, and so they were not cast all the way down, but were doomed to haunt the wild places of the earth until Judgment Day. The idea that these creatures of light reach their state because of the actions of the angel of light fit near neatly with the old beliefs. Another rather more amusing theory has to do with an unexpected visit God paid to Adam and Eve long after they had been expelled from the Garden of Eden and set up house for themselves. This is really good. By this time, they had so many children that Eve couldn't keep them all properly bathed, so she presented to God only the ones who had just come out of the tub. When God asked to see the rest of the children, Eve denied that there were any, having sent the filthy ones to hide in the backyard. She had apparently not learned her lesson about lying to an omniscient deity. <laughs> God declared that those children whom Eve had hidden from him would remain hidden from all mankind. The descendants of these grubby children are the hidden folk, as they are known to Iceland to this day. I just like the idea. Hey, God, how's it going? These are my kids. Want some coffee? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so there's there's kind of an, a window into like elves, this mythology that comes so far back about what elves mean, at least to the yeah, farmers, so much even in Scandinavia and Sweden in these Norse times, uh, what they believed and how they held on to it over time. Yeah, it's so interesting that basically, I mean, we, we've, we've known, we, we know, you and I that know that Christianity is uh, built off of other myths. A lot of things in Christianity dates back to different mythologies and things like that. Adam and Eve, for example, we, we found that they're basically an Adam and Eve of giants, However, we are not sure if he just wrote that in or... Right, because Snorri <laughs> himself was Christian. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like the idea that in order to... I mean, it's kind of dirty, but like in order to convert these people, they were like, well, what if your elves were these things in, in our religion? Right. That's interesting. I like that idea. So, in his 1955 book, Witchcraft Today, original Wiccan Gerald Gardner equated them with the Picts... I'm sorry, did you say Wiccan? I did. All right. Uh, equated them with the Picts and other tribes whose desire to keep the old ways in the face of Christianity sent them scurrying to the furthest most reaches of the Celtic realm. And I've got another section from the book that I want to read. And the thing is that I thought about just trying to write down my own version of this, but they said it so well, I'm like, I'm just going to read from the book. Yeah, as long as you give credit. Yeah. Um, so, like their Neolithic ancestors, these beleaguered but colorful little people, maintain homes of dry stone construction half sunk in the earth, perhaps even elaborate complexes of them as can be seen at Scara Bray in the far north of Scotland. Since the whole house was covered in grass or heather, it would have looked to the casual eye like a natural feature of the landscape. If one of the big people happened to be passing on by on a winter's night and witnessed the opening of a well-concealed door, he could not have failed to notice the blaze of hearthlight staining the snow as it does at the doors of elvish abodes in so many folktales of northwestern Europe. There would have had to have been smoke holes in those hollow hills through which the scents of the bracken fire and roasted shrew could have escaped. But these details are seldom present in the folklore. Gardner insists that most of the coming and going would have been through those primitive chimneys, which only added to the pixies' exoticism in the eyes of their neighbors. Hmm chimneys yeah hmm okay fancy that unfortunately this gardnerian version of elvish origins probably has a lot more romance in it than truth instead gardner's concept of the mighty dead might give us a better idea of who the elves really are 
The mighty dead are the spirits of magical practitioners, or witches, if you will, who, through a series of reincarnations, have honed their skills to the point where they, in death, have become objects of worship, or at least consultation. The elves were certainly revered, but one would hesitate to call them mighty, especially in the Scandinavian folktales that were first recorded in the 19th century by roving ethno ethno huh, sorry, ethnographers. Inspired by the Brothers Grimm, the elves appear to carry on lives that parallel those of their human neighbors. They move their cattle from one pasture to another and spread their hay to dry in the sun. They cook, clean, and concern themselves with the welfare of their children. They even attend their own church services, though they appear not to have undergone either reformation or counter-reformation, even in those countries where the humans were staunchly Protestant. Often the elves are possessed of an unearthly beauty, but just as often they appear as ordinary people, albeit in quaint dress. If the elves resemble us, it is because they are us, or rather they were. The human who stumbles upon a procession of elves or an impromptu elvish feast is often startled to recognize someone he knows among them, someone who has died either recently or years before. Hey, Jeffrey, what are you doing here? <laughs> often this dead acquaintance advises the human's witness how to safely leave the party, the standard precaution being not to touch the food. The elves, then, are the dead. Not the quietly resting dead, but those who, for whatever reason, have taken up new lives on the other side of the veil, and at times, either knowingly or unknowingly, might come strolling back through it. It's reincarnation. Mm. Is that? It's basically you're reincarnated as this other thing. As this other thing, yeah. Well, that's, as I said earlier, Norse is less of a uh, end in death, but a transitional period. Right. Among these elves are the long dead who speak a language, the barest traces of which are remembered in the names of hillocks and that used to be mountains, or of rivers that have long ago changed course. The bones of these people have become fully incorporated into the soil, yet still they rattle about the landscape on their elvish business. They no longer remember any other kind of existence and may be only dimly aware of developments since their passing. They are troubled by the tolling of church bells and might be scalded by the dripping of holy water into their homes, not to mention the seeping of car exhaust, for these things belong to a world they no longer do. I like that they throw car exhaust and uh -huh. they make it a little modern. Right. But church bells and... Man, you learn a lot with, the, with this podcast. I'm happy we did this. So just giving you a window into like, there's a lot of stuff about elves in yeah. Sweden and Scandinavian folklore that's like, hmm, what? Uh, it's an interesting depiction of the elves in mythological history for the region, and there are traces of many rituals done in relation to these deceased spirits that carried over towards the old traditions later on. So to wrap this up, let's take a quick look at many of the Scandinavian and Norse traditions that followed from the Yule Solstice celebrations into Christmas as we know it. At midwinter, the Vikings honored their Asa gods with religious rituals and feasting. They sacrificed a wild boar to Frey, the god of fertility and farming, to assure a good growing season in the coming year, which I believe you mentioned in the yeah, last episode. The meat was then cooked and eaten at the feast. This is the origin of today's Christmas ham in Scandinavia. Oh. During the festivities, they burned a giant sun wheel, which was put on fire and rolled down a hill to entice the sun to return, which you also mentioned in our last one. I did. I thought it was ridiculous. There's a lot of things connected to the elves and the returning cycle of the sun, yeah. as I've talked about in this episode. Burning well, according to wheels. one theory, it is the origin of the Christmas wreath. Oh, I can totally see why. Yeah. Yeah. Another Viking tradition was the Yule log. Your, don't hang that on your door. <laughs> Someone will roll it down a hill and set it on fire. <laughs> Another Viking tradition was the Yule Log, a large oak log decorated with sprigs of fir, holly, or yew. They carved runes on it, asking the gods to protect them from misfortune. A piece of the log was saved to protect the home during the coming year and light next year's fire. 
Today, most know the Yule log as a cake or cheese log rolled in nuts. Wait, wait, wait. So it, it started as a wooden log. With runes, yeah. And now it's... It's cheese rolled in nuts. Hmm. I have the mighty have fallen. <laughs> Even the Christmas tree goes back to pre-Christian times. The Vikings decorated evergreen trees with pieces of food and clothes, small statues of the gods, carved runes, etc. to entice the tree spirits to come back in the spring. Pieces of food? Mm-hmm. They just chew it up and... Put it, I'm no, I imagine they broke off a piece and put it on there. Okay. Ancient myths surround the mistletoe. The Vikings believed it could resurrect the dead, a belief based on a legend about the resurrection of Baldur, the god of light and, go- and goodness, who was killed by a mistletoe arrow but resurrected when tears of his mother Frigga turned the red mistletoe berries white. Okay, I didn't know of his resurrection. Yes. I thought he died and then Ragnarok started. Uh, turns the red mistletoe berries white. Her tears. Okay. Apparently... According to one myth, at least. Yeah. There you go. Okay, cool. So, mistletoe. So, wait, was he present during Ragnarok, then? Hmm. We're going to have to dig into this a different day. Yeah. But I wanted you to know about that, because I read that, and I'm like, wow, that's okay. Yeah. Hmm. That is that is different than what I have heard. Yeah. Resurrected when tears of his mother Frigga turned the red mistletoe berries white. Okay. Uh, then there's the tradition around the Yule goat. We know that Thor was important during Yule celebration. Remember, I was going to say there was uh, things about Yule being a celebration of Thor and his protection. Yeah. And the reason may be his role as protector against exactly the kinds of forces that roam free on Earth during that fragile time between the rebirth of the sun and her actual resurrection to former glory at the 12th of January. Thor is, in fact, the great protector of the Maiden, that divine and life-providing damsel annually in distress whose light and love belongs to the gods and to whom they looked for for their annual rejuvenation. It really sounds like Thor made this up. Like, oh, I saved the Maiden. Their their annual rejuvenation. So the Maiden is Idun, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah. The lover of all the gods. Who Thor made up. He may have represented the hero of the day, the one whose protection and direct action not only protected the people against the onslaughts of the destructive powers, <clears throat> but it is very likely that Thor, as a god of Yule, ensured the safe growth, protection of, and eventually glorious return of the new sun. Uh, here is a stanza 25 and 26 from the Volupsa of the Poetic Edda. Then all the rulers went to the high chairs of fate, the sacred gods, and of this they spoke. Who had the air all blended with evil? And who to the line of devourers given poetry's maiden? Thor alone was then seized by powerful anger. He seldom sits when he hears such things. Hmm. You know know the story where Thor beats his his goats to death and then eats them? Yeah, and then they come back. Yeah. Yeah, because they come back every day. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about that. We do not know exactly how Thor was worshipped during Yule and Pagan times, but it is thought that some of these Thor rituals may have survived in the Scandinavian tradition called Yule Book, or the Yule Goat. Okay. The goat, a symbol of Thor, was an established symbol of Yule, and the animal was slaughtered as a sacrifice during Yule, perhaps referring to the myth of how Thor could slaughter his precious goats and revive them the day after with a blow from his hammer. A symbol of resurrection, and particularly the resurrection of that which gives nourishment. So you know how I mentioned Claws uh, earlier, and we did the book club. There's a one of the <coughs> one of the sequel issues, Claws uh, and the Witch of Winter. Mm-hmm. Um, the it's set in the present day, yes. or mostly, and Claws is returning to the North Pole, and he walks through this hall, and in the hall are statues of different representations of himself right. throughout the world, and one of them 
is this little midget sitting on a goat. And I always found that was funny. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, I don't know. Goat's a, goat. goat's a major symbol of Yule. Yeah. A little weird thing. It's a thing that just is a meme now to us. Yeah. The goat screaming. Well, yeah. So, an old custom back then was for young people to dress up in goat skins and go from house to house and sing and perform simple plays. They were rewarded with food and drink. Oh, Christmas carolers. Yeah, or Christmas trick-or-treaters. But this time they're not naked. The Yule goat at one time also brought Yule gifts. This character was later replaced with Yultomten, Santa Claus. The later tradition of the Yule goat that survived into modern times involves people, today mostly children, wearing masks while visiting their neighbors, singing Christmas carols, and receiving food, today mostly sweets. So some turn into Halloween there. there. Uh, Again, this kind of goes back to that calendar thing, which I'll do at a later date. Mm -hmm. Our pre-Christian ancestors would dress up someone to represent Old Man Winter, who was welcomed into the homes to join festivities. Dressed in a hooded fur coat, Father Christmas traveled either by foot or on a giant white horse. Some think that this horse may have been Odin's horse, Slipnir, and that Father Christmas was originally Odin, who was often depicted with a long beard. When the Vikings conquered Britain in the 8th and 9th centuries, he was introduced there and became the English Father Christmas. That, that we knew. Yes. Yeah. I was just recapping. Yeah. Today, Viking Yule is celebrated in reconstructed Viking villages such as Fotvikin, in Skane and Jorvik in England, where visitors in, <laughs> where visitors in December can make Christmas decorations with the Vikings, listen to Viking legends, and hang their wishes in Odin's Yule tree. Okay, I've never wanted anything more in my life. <laughs> Viking Yule is also celebrated by Asatrurs, who revived the old Nordic religion called Asatru. We should go there too. Today's report was a lot of me spewing out information written in better words than I could from many sources. Among these is an article called Telling Ghost Stories as Lost Tradition on Christmas Eve by Jeffrey Peterson at the website desertenews.com. That's D-E-S-E-R-E-T news.com. Another article called Christmas, colon, The Real Story on simpletoremember.com. Another article called The Dark History of Christmas Traditions by David Barnett on independent.co.uk. Some from timelessmyths.com slash norse slash way dot html. Some more from an article called Pagan Roots, Five Supporting Facts, uh, Five Surprising Facts About Christmas by Stephanie Papas on lifescience.com. Some from the site scandland.com slash vicxmas, V-I-K-X-M-A-S dot htm. And a lot came from an article called The Old Norse Yule Celebration. Uh, dash myth and ritual from the website freya.theladyofthelabyrinth.com which is actually a pretty cool Norse mythology website. Yeah. And last, uh, the book that I was reading was from The Old Magic of Christmas colon Yuletide Traditions for the Darkest Days of the Year by Linda Radish. Wow. That's my report. Alright. I'm going to give you a round of applause. Oh, thanks, I'm man. I'm just going to clap a little bit. There you go. Uh, that's going to sound great in people's ears. Um, that was awesome, dude. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, as we get further along, uh, just the audience, uh, we'll have more book references, um, as we get, as we keep going, because right now we only have access to online references. There's not a lot of good books about this stuff. That's why yeah. I had to use so many. I, I looked, I looked, there's not a lot. Like I, I looked at some that are out there and they don't do breakdowns well. Yeah. I found of, a, about this stuff. I found a, there's a lot of books. Christians. <laughs> there's a lot of books on the on the Krampus, but I'm not too <clears throat> oh, sure, sure how like good they are, and I, I need right. to do some research on that. Um, but yeah, ho- hopefully as we get as we get further along, we get some more some more book references, and maybe we we'll put out a book. Who knows? Yeah, I'm just putting that out there. We could put out a book. 
I maybe send me your uh, send me your report and we'll we'll, we'll figure <laughs> it out. Anyway, uh, a lot of my report is taking stuff from other people. <laughs> yeah, what do you think the old magic of Christmas is doing? No, I understand. I we'll see. There's a market for this. We're not going to do this, guys. Don't worry. Um, uh, anyway, not not for years. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, that was awesome, dude. Thank you. Yeah, it was kind fun. of a deep window into a lot of the winter solstice stuff. Yeah, a nice way to to. End up end the year. So this is our last episode of the year. Uh, our next one will be in January. Um, I'm so glad you freaked out about the Sami people because I did too. That I was, was like, so what cool. Is this? I just saw a reference to like, and then there's the Sami sun goddess, and I'm like, what is the Sami sun goddess? Sami? And then I just dug deeper, and I'm like, oh my what? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Hey, look, guys, seriously, we'll po- probably post up a picture online. Yes, but you if you look up, just look up that. Sami some sun goddess. It she's female Santa Claus. Yeah, she's re- like there's an image I saw her red and white riding a, a sleigh essentially with a reindeer out in front of her. Yep, that's Santa. Yep, that is insane. It reminded me of there's this there's this uh, article floating around right now. You know the media likes to make mountains out of molehills, um, but there's an article floating around that's like people want Santa Claus to be gender neutral. Oh right, mm-hmm. yeah. Make her the do the Sami sun god. Go back to the Sami way. Do that one. It's, I, it's, I think the, the the ancients knew how to party, man. The purge. Yeah, the purge. The Roman, that the Roman great. purge. That's great. No, yeah, I, just the, so a lot good. Of, a lot of these ancient stories you you hear about the ancient religions, like you know when monotheism swept the nation, swept the land. Like a lot of the, I think a lot of the cool shit was written out of our history. Yeah, man, I miss the purge. Well, not that. Uh-huh. Caroling naked is what I'm talking about. Part of the purge? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, Norse and Greece and sure. Egypt. Like, there's so much. I mean, obviously, things are better. We don't have tyrants. And I, me being a Jewish person, would not do well in Egypt. No. Um, But I could do okay as a Viking. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway. You'd, you'd have to bulk up a little, I think. No, I'll be hiccup. You gotta be a warrior. I'll be if hiccup. you die without fighting a battle, you know what happens. I go to hell, I know. Yeah. Anyway. Or apparently might become an or elf. I'll be in health. I'm not ready to die. All right, you're in health. Cool. Yeah. Whatever. Um, anyway. I guess that'll do it then. Yeah. It's a lot of lot of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Um I get next uh let's go to a different I think I think next episode we'll go to a different region. Uh, we'll discuss spicy. We'll discuss off air what region that is, but I have an I have an idea if you're in, if you're into it. Okay. Um. But until do you have anything more to say, or should we get out of here? Um. This was a lot of information. <laughs> I I uh, I did not expect to go so deep into this, and and there there was in fact even more I was going to put in, and I had to curtail it at a certain point and be like, okay, this is too much. Yeah. Um. Maybe we'll get a blog. But there's or a lot. It's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff. Um, again, I, I really want to stress like I'm I'm massively regurgitating a lot of stuff uh, that other people have have done the work to put together. And yeah, I was just like, hey, I gotta all right, I gotta spew this back out myself. Um, so you know, I I pulled a I tried to pull a lot of uh, heavy quotes and things from them for this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy how much mythology is such a uh, game of telephone. It really is. Like yeah. we talked about it, like Norse especially is just people talking around the campfires and telling stories. Yeah, and go go with that Sami Sami sun goddess all the way to Santa Claus today, and it's yeah. what a game of telephone. If, no, for but for real though, it's insane. I w- I want to know more about the Sami. Mm. 
that's not gonna be our next region but no. we'll we'll loop back around to that i think that'd well be i'm cool. gonna have to find out if there's a good book about them yeah because they I, still exist do they really? Yes. Uh, so there is. I I did a little bit. Uh, it didn't include it in my report, but I did look into this. Um, they they had a, at least in Norway. I looked at it specifically related to Norway. They have like they had to make a law, basically uh, giving them their land to do what they do and keep their culture and keep their ways, like we did to the Native Americans. They're very much the Norwegian Native Americans. Oh man, these cool. These guys are cool. Yeah, I'd like to learn more about them someday. Uh, so stay tuned for that, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing else to add. Should we get out of here then? Sure. Uh, all of you enjoy your holidays and yeah, be festive and happy Yule. Twelve days of beer, don't forget. Twelve days. Twelve th- until the beer runs out. Um, until until two weeks from now, I guess. Oh, probably not two weeks then. We may we may be three weeks till our next yeah, episode. Yeah, that makes sense because the because uh, the holidays. Right. But let's just say three weeks to our next episode. Yeah, we're gonna be on a break. And enjoy uh, your holidays. I guess Mary Yule is how we'll end this one. We still have to thank people. Oh my goodness, I'm so bad at this show. It's because you don't have it in front of you. I don't have I a get thing. the report. Oh, okay. I'm gonna write a thing. Anyway, thank you to Jeremy Bellucci yeah. for our music. Uh we greatly appreciate it. He's a longtime collaborator of ours. Uh you can find his podcast on Suburban Proctologist. Uh you can find that on iTunes. Take that give that a look. He's at Jeremy Bellucci Keyboards. Um I just realized that I I've never ever once told anybody how to spell that, but that's fine. Good luck. Good luck with that. Um, Mike Matola, who does our really he's sweet. He's saying logo. good luck because he doesn't know how to spell it right now without it in front of him. <laughs> no, it's not in front of me. There's no way. Um, it's Mike Matola who does our logo. We greatly appreciate uh, him, and thank you to everybody who listens. Uh, first and foremost, like uh, that should be at the top always. If the yeah. fact that you guys thank listen, you for listening. The fact that anybody listens to this is awesome. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, and you can find him. Uh, find Mike Matola at Mike Matola. I'm at BT McClure on Instagram and Twitter. Sparks. I'm at Sparks Witty on Instagram, Twitter. S P A R K Z Witty. Uh, so what? Did you have any specific thoughts about the report? I forgot to ask. It was great. Yeah, I told you. I said specific. Oh no. Oh okay. I was honestly a lot of it just blew my mind. Yeah. Like I was, I'm still reeling from that zombie <clears throat> thing. Yeah, that was that was heavy. Yeah. Uh, there's one more person. There's one more thing I wanted to say before we ended. But I don't remember what it was. Oh, we have a podcast. <laughs> That's it. We have another podcast. This is a podcast. <laughs> we have another podcast called the Fake Nerd Podcast. Uh, you heard a little bit about. You heard a, if you've listened to our God of War review special, you heard you heard uh, basically what we do there. Uh, but go ahead and subscribe to that one. We greatly appreciate that. We do that with our friends Ryan and Ben. Uh, there is a Christmas special of a holiday special coming out on Christmas Day for of that show nerds, yeah. for the Fake Nerds. Uh, it will be on that feed if you guys want to check that one out. It was a lot of fun to record. Um, yeah. so yeah and uh, I guess until next time guys um, yeah did we say did we already say the social media for this podcast I don't remember no it's miscellaneous P <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter thanks <laughs> I'm so bad M-Y-T-H E-L-L-A-N E-O-U-S P on Instagram and Twitter thanks for listening <laughs> happy Yule time catch us on the next episode or else it would be a myth take <laughs>